good morning, Transit Church. For those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Saju, um, and I am going to be uh, sharing this morning's text uh, with all of you. Um, as, uh, as you know, if you've been here this summer, uh, we've been going through uh, the story of Jacob, and we've been looking at this phenomenally interesting character of Jacob in the Bible over the last few months. And so today, we are in Genesis uh, chapter 32. Uh, verses 22 to the end. And again, it's a, it's a pretty fascinating passage uh, because we're going to be looking at a wrestling match between God and this person, Jacob. I mean, how much stranger can the Bible get than to actually have a passage in it which has God wrestling with someone? So that's what we're going to be studying today and trying to make some sense out of that, hopefully. Let me give you a, a couple of spoiler alerts so that I just kind of share with you up front um, two main application points or two main takeaways that I want you to have from this message. And I think it might be helpful for you to have that in mind as you're listening. So I want to share that just up front. The first one is that we are Jacob. This story is actually about you. It's about me. Right? I mean, Jacob is an important person to know because in the messianic storyline, Jacob is part of that, right? It's, it's Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah all the way to Jesus so that we know that the lineage of the Messiah came through the line of Jacob. So that's important. And we also know that the nation of Israel was birthed out of Jacob himself, right? So it's, there's historical significance but I think most important reason that this story is here as a deeper story and not just, you know, Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, all that kind of way is, God wants to show that this is a story about you and me. And that's why some guy who died 4,000 years ago is worth us spending some time today taking a look at. The second application point is that our struggle is that we're not sure if we can fully trust God. Partially, maybe, but to fully trust him, to put all of our weight on him, to put all our chips on God and trust him to come through for me, I'm not sure if I have enough confidence in God to go that deep. And I think those are the two sort of overarching uh, themes or threads of, of themes that are sort of flowing in this passage. Now, I just want to give a credit. My kids asked me to give credit to them. So let me do that right now because they helped me with this sermon. Um, so I don't want to take away from uh, all their contribution. Something interesting, by the way, uh, depending on your point of view, this is a good thing or a bad thing. The best people to look at Bible stories with are children and non-Christians. You know why? Because they don't try to spin a lot of stuff on top of it. When my kid and I were looking at this, you know, they said, what the heck? I actually like Esau. He's a really nice guy. I mean, he didn't do anything. Look at Jacob. And you know what? It's true, though, right? Esau seems to be a decent guy. I don't know anything that he's done in the story about him that makes him seem like a bad guy. He hasn't been a bad brother in any way. Um, there's, there's nothing in there that makes us see Esau. And Esau is actually in many ways a likable guy. And we looked at this passage last time about, and this is where the, the story sits today, is when Jacob is going to see Esau again. 
And you know the way that Esau meets him, and Jacob doesn't know what that meeting's going to be like, so we're going to look at that a little bit, but the way he meets him is that he greets him, it says, right, by falling on his neck and kissing him. You know the one other place in the Bible that that description is used? If you think about it, it's the story of the prodigal son, right? Jesus tells us that when the father saw the prodigal son from far off, he ran to him, fell on his neck, and kissed him. There isn't a lot of bad stuff about Esau. But the protagonist in our story is Jacob. He's the guy we're following. He's the hero guy, but he's actually not that heroic. I mean, when you take a look, think about it honestly, as, as, as my kids forced me to do, he's a lousy brother. He's a lousy son. He's a fairly lousy husband. And if you continue to look at his story, he's a pretty lousy father. But that's what we're doing. And I think my instinct, and maybe yours, is to put a spin on it to find a way to make him more likable. Because how can I find, follow a hero in my story that I'm looking at who's a jerk? So i got to find a way to spin it. But, but the thing with kids, or people who have not looked at this text, non-Christians, will not necessarily put that kind of spin on it. And I tell you this, God did that on purpose. I think God did that on purpose because think about this. If God is choosing the heroic people, then man, you and I are going to feel like, well, I certainly don't qualify. I'm not good enough that. I'm not that good. But when I see myself against Jacob, I feel like I got a fighting chance, right? Because <laughs> that guy, he's got issues. <laughs> so let's look at our text. So we're going to start at verse 22. Of the, of the chapter, and let's read it. And if we, if we can, let's read it together, if we're able to put it on the screen. Okay? It says, The same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him, until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up on him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the sinew of the thigh. Okay, so I said... It's a wrestling match that we're going to look at today. And so in terms of context, um, it's been 20 years since Jacob has seen Esau. And if I had to sort of put a guesstimate 
Um, Jacob is probably about 40 years old now, probably shy of it, probably a little younger when he ran away, but he's somewhere about... And the last time Jacob saw Esau, right, he ran because he thought that Esau wanted to kill him. And so, as you can imagine, tomorrow is the day that he's going to see Esau again after 20 years. After 20 years, and what he had done was he stole Esau's birthright, if you recall that story, and ran and took off. And so this is the encounter after that, and Jacob is scared. It's clear in the passage before that, what we looked at last week as well, because of, of how he prays to God. But 20 years later, Jacob is married. He has 11 kids. He's got uh, two wives, two concubines, and he's quite wealthy, right? He's a man who's gained a lot. He's wealthy in all, all that time, and uh, um, you, can, you can find some, some references to his wealth in different places. And so on this night before, when he doesn't know what awaits him the next day, because the information that he got from his messengers that he sent out to them was, go and tell Esau that I'm coming, they said, oh yeah, Esau's coming to meet you, there's 400 men. And Jacob is thinking, an army, a war, I'm dead. And so what he does the night is, it says that he takes his family, right, in verse 22 on, it says that same night he takes his family, and, he, and all of his family, and he crosses the Jabbok River, and puts them on the other side of the river, and that's where they're going to be camping. And for whatever reason, he comes back to the other side of the river, and it just seems he wants to be alone. He wants to be in his thought. He wants to pray. But he's also thinking, this might be my last night of my life. This could be it. I don't know if there will be a tomorrow night for me because I don't know what my brother will do. Right? It seems like all of his playing around and manipulation, that kind of stuff, he's worried that that's caught up to him. So that is where we find Jacob in this night. That's what's going on in him. It's weighing heavy on him. And rightfully so, because he doesn't know what, what, uh, what awaits him tomorrow. But Jacob has a plan, right? As always, Jacob's always got a plan. He's a man who looks at the situation, reads it, and has an angle of how he's going to do it, because he takes gifts to his brothers, and that's how he's going to do it. He's going to take gifts. And this is the sense that you get of how wealthy he is, because in, in verse 13, it says that he had presents for his brother Esau, and just to give you a sense of what he was going to give as a gift, if you can give this much away, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 10 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. That's what he's going to give as a, as a gift to appease maybe Esau's anger. So that's just a sense, right? He's got, he's got lots of, lots of wealth that he's accumulated over the years. He also has another strategy, which is he's going to send his people in waves, right? And the people he put on the front, and then the second group, and a third group that he's a part of, because what might happen? If he might find that there's bloodshed and death happening, he may have an opportunity to get away and go in a different direction. And again, true to his nature, even the way he set up that group, right? He sets up his, his concubines and their kids first. Then he sends Leah and her kids second. And then his favorite, Rachel, and her son, Joseph, and himself last. I mean, you know, these people aren't dumb, right? <laughs> They're like, know what exactly he's probably doing. 
Imagine what it's like to be those kids. They're in the front group. Feeling, what's your, what's your feeling about your dad, right? You're, you're not necessarily like giving him father of the year status when he's pulling that kind of move on you. But that's how he's operating, right? He's, he's looking at the situation. He's always sort of bargaining and negotiating and see the best way to come out on top. And that's true. And out of nowhere, it says, a man comes into camp and starts wrestling with him. And I'm not going to sort of belabor this point, but the man is God, or it's sometimes referred to as an angel of God. Because at the end of the text, Jacob says, I saw God face to face, and I'm still alive. And in the book of um, Hosea, chapter 12, it again references this, and it says that Jacob wrestled with God throughout the night, and then he pleaded and wept and pleaded for God to bless him. So there's no doubt here that this is, this is coming as a man, but it is God. Now, we don't know necessarily when Jacob realizes that this man is God, but at some point he might have, he does. He knows by the end who this is, right? So he recognizes that, but we don't, we're not told at what point that happens. But this man jumps him. I don't know how it happens. Can you imagine what it's like in the woods in the middle of the night? It's pitch black and some random guy is coming up and starting to wrestle with you. That's scary, right? That's scary. And Jacob starts wrestling right back. And you got to figure out, figure like, what is God doing? It's a fair question to ask. God, why are you coming as a man, as a person, and starting a wrestling match? What is that supposed to tell us about who you are? How is the gospel there? You know, but that's exactly what God does, right? He comes. And here's a few interesting things about the wrestling match. It tells us that they wrestle till dawn. I don't know what time of night it is, right? But all night long they wrestle till the break of day because it says at the break of day, he says, let me go because it is about to be morning and you need to let me go. But there's still that, 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 that engagement is still going on. So maybe they started at 2 a.m., right? Maybe it was midnight. Whatever the case is, the very little that I do know about wrestling, you know, I mean, I mean not, the, not the WWF wrestling, but, but the wrestling with the, where people are trying to pin another person down, those matches last no more than three minutes. And then the second round is three minutes or two minutes and maybe a third round of another couple of minutes. Nine minutes tops. And most people say that after nine minutes of wrestling, they're spent for the day. They're spent, nothing left, because you have exhausted all of your energy. So I can't imagine what it's like to be in a tussle with another person for the entire night, for maybe hours. And the object of wrestling is this, right? To pin down your opponent. To show that you can dominate him. To be the one on top. That's what you're doing in wrestling. And that's what's happening here. They're both wrestling, and that's the object here. The thing about Jacob is, and I think why God uses this wrestling is because Jacob has actually been wrestling all his life, right? That's the nature. We, we will say it differently, maybe, right? He's been scheming, right, throughout the last couple of months. He's been strategizing. He's been tricking. He's manipulating, right? He's fighting, but always for what? For dominance, to get the upper hand, to win one over, win one over on the next guy, the next guy, the next guy, right? Even his name means right? One who wrestles with, one who schemes. Even in the womb, what does it tell us about Jacob with his twin brother? That he grasped his brother's heel, right? It tells us a little bit about him. He's been wrestling. He's been wrestling for Jacob's status as the firstborn. He wants that, that, that position in the family. He wants the blessing that's entitled to him. 
and the way he engaged with his father Isaac. Oh my gosh, I can't think of a sadder story, to be honest with you, right? It is heartbreaking. His father Isaac is blind, right? And remember covering this, he's about to die. And Jacob wants that blessing. And Isaac says, you know, to Esau, go and kill some game and bring it back and let me eat it and I can, so I can bless you. And Jacob plays it fast with his mother's help, gets in there. But think about this. Think about the lengths he goes. He dresses like him. He makes sure he smells like him. He probably uses voice to sound like him. It tells us in the text that he put goat hair on his hands and the back of his neck because Esau was hairy to even feel like him. I mean, that's a guy who pays attention to all the little details, right? He's scheming. But I say sad because Isaac asks him, what's your name? And he says, I'm your firstborn. I'm Esau. And so Isaac blesses him. And Jacob gets the blessing, but think about that. Jacob knows the person that his father's thinking about when he has his hand on him isn't me at all. Those words, those affirmation, that love, that that that. That, that, that blessing that's coming out, it's all really for Esau. But can you really steal that? Can you really steal the words of how much you mean to me, how much I love you, how much I want you to be blessed? You can try. But deep down inside, I think it probably hurts even more because he didn't have that. And I can't imagine a more damaged situation than to grow up thinking and knowing that your brother was your dad's favorite. That, I think, is one of the things that has crushed Jacob's soul and kind of furthered him deeper into being a guy who just justifies his lifestyle of wrestling. And then he wrestles with his uncle Laban and, and so on and so forth, right? Why? Why wrestling? Why is he doing all this? Because the truth is, the world operates on that principle. The world operates on the principle of competition, right? We have a lot of sayings that tell us this, might makes right. Survival of the fittest, right? My success depends on me. I feel like I got to do it, right? It's a dog-eat-dog world, isn't it? The first shall be first. <laughs> I mean, because guess what? Resources are limited, and if you snooze, you lose. So you better be ready to be a tough person to take on this world because the world is saying, we're going to be aggressive right back to you. So, so our natural posture all along is to be in this I'm ready for a fight posture, right? Because that's the engagement, that's the, that's the broken world. That's what sin has done to this world. Functionally, I think we apply this principle to every area of our life too. We really do. We're wrestlers. That's why I say the story's about us. We're Jacob too. Like Jacob, we are constantly playing the angles in our heads, aren't we? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, some are better than others. But it's there. In our work setting, what does it take to get ahead? Who are the people that are getting promoted? Who are not? What do I need to do? Why not? Right? We're, we're, we're aware of those things. In our parenting, you know, we want our kids to be the best. right? We want our kids to do this or do that or that kind of stuff. And so much of us is underneath in that. And so there, there's all that stuff buried inside of us. You know? Even with our friends. Our friends. We love our friends, but we compete with our friends. That's why the phrase goes, keeping up with the Joneses, right? We see people getting ahead, getting things in life, and we're happy for them. We're also a little jealous. We're also a little, wait a minute, why am I here? 
There is that tendency to look at this world and feel like, here's this person, here am I, here am I, right? We're always rating ourselves. We're always evaluating ourselves, our finances. If you have any doubts that this world is aggressive and wrestling, go into a parking lot at any time of the year, but especially <laughs> the shopping mall during Christmas time. There is no doubt that it's a competition, right? It is about getting ahead. And the way it makes you mad if somebody takes a spot and you knew you were first or something like that, I mean, it's amazing, right? We are constantly living ready for fight. And that's how we look at everything in the world. And here's the other part of it. Even though we're constantly competing, we also know that it's not a good thing to do, right? So we're sly about it. We're a little secretly competing, right? We're secretly competing with each other and the world out there because we don't want to look like the guy who's trying to try, right? We want to look like we're not trying, but we're just sort of, it's just working out. <laughs> so like Jacob, we wrestle with the world to overpower the world, to dominate it, scheming to get ahead, struggling for dominance so that we don't end up second best. We don't end up as losers, right? And that's just the sense that we have. Here's what I want to add to that. And this is going to require you to chew a little bit on it, and I don't have much time to sort of allow us to wrestle with, uh, to, to wrestle with it. Um, no pun intended there. But our wrestling with the world is actually an outflow of our wrestling with God. We are wrestling with God. And I had once heard a person say this. It was a pastor who said these words. He said, every person has an undercurrent of anger towards God. I didn't like hearing that, you know, but what he had said was, it's there all the time below the surface and it seeps into our life. Every person has an undercurrent, this low-level anger with God that's sort of just there. What does that mean? I don't feel angry towards God. I don't know if you do, but most of the time I don't think we feel it, right? But what it's, it's there. Part of it is because we don't want to think that, I don't want to believe that I'm angry with God, right? So I don't allow myself to believe it. Again, I keep that hidden or I keep that disguised. And we won't even admit it to ourselves. In fact, that's one of the biggest dangers is the things that we don't admit about who we are to ourselves. That doesn't allow us to be real with God. But Adam and Eve, I'll give you a little bit, little bit here. Adam and Eve, right? What was Eve saying? I mean, if I were God... I would do it differently. I wouldn't put a tree here. You want me to avoid a tree that I shouldn't eat? Why don't you put it 40 miles outside the garden so that I just can never even see it or get to it, right? We're saying that all the time. Every person throughout the Bible story, Cain and Abel is a story of, you know, uh, Cain saying, well, I would bless these things. I would do it this way. I would do it this way. Anytime we feel like the world is unfair and I would do it this way, right? I, I, there's a sense of if I were in charge of this world, Here's how I would run it, right? I think deep down inside, we just feel like God is sometimes an absentee landlord that's just not paying attention to the things, and I could do this stuff better. Now, that's not going to come out of our mouth, but I think that feeling, that sense of it operates, and when something goes badly, deep down inside, our anger is towards God because he's sovereign. It's his world. He made it. Ultimately, why didn't you make me taller? Why didn't you make me smarter? Why didn't you make me richer? Why didn't you do this? If you, if you, again, I'm not saying that it comes out in words, but inside we just have this, this gnawing sense of it. But the reality is we can't fight, we can't wrestle with God and win. 
I mean, not going to, right? It's not possible. So what do we do? We do the next best thing. We hurt the things that he loves. We hurt the things that he loves. Because when we do that, it's a sideways way of getting back at God, right? That's a, that's a sort of a sucker punch that we can do to God. I mean, Satan did this, does this, right? What, what's he got against me? I never met Satan. I don't know Satan. I don't know what his issue is. I didn't take anything from him, so I don't know what his problem is. And you and neither of you. But what is he? He's angry towards God. He's angry towards God. So what does he want to do? He wants to take the next best thing down, you and me. Because he knows God loves you. God made you. You have value to him. I'm going to take down what he has value for. That's how he's going to hurt God. We are the proxy that he uses, right, to hurt God. And that's going on inside of us too, that that sense of if I can't win against God, I'm going to win against the thing that God loves and and hurt it back. Because I have pain in me. We have pain in us. Jacob has pain in him. Why is my dad treating this way? Why did my uncle trick me into marrying the woman that I never asked for? I wanted to marry Jacob. I I mean, uh, uh, Rachel, I worked for seven years for it. But deep down inside, right? Jacob is not happy with the world as it is, so he wants to take control and manipulate it and move it to his advantage. Now, here's the interesting thing, I think, in this passage, a couple of interesting things for me. In this wrestling match that goes on for all this time with God and Jacob, neither is able to win. Neither wins. Right? I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on, but it has no sense because it says, when the man saw that he could not overcome Jacob, right, he touched his hip socket. But in the wrestling match part, I mean, nobody actually wins. Why? Well, I think a few things here. Let me, let me share this with you. I think God wrestles because, first of all, he wants Jacob to see that he's been wrestling with him all his life. In that wrestling, God wants him to understand, do you know that your issue is with me? And you've been wrestling with me. The reason that he wrestles, one reason is, I think he just wants Jacob to understand, your issue is with me. I'm the one that you're at enmity with. I'm the one that you've been wrestling with. And that that is one of the things, right? His real disappointment, ultimately, is towards God, is with God. The second thing I think God wants them to show is that, look, you can't defeat and overcome me. You can wrestle with me. You can have your own agenda, your own plans, but it's foolish. Because at the end of the day, you're not going to win, Jacob. The path of life that you choose that's contrary to what I want for you, you can go down that path, and you might think you're gaining an advantage, and it's working for you, but it's not. At the end of the day, It's just a dead-end road, and you will realize it. So I want you to realize you can wrestle and wrestle and wrestle, but this, you're not winning. It's not going to happen. You're not going to win. And the third thing, I think this is important, God wants to show Jacob that his posture towards Jacob is not to defeat him, is not to dominate him either, right? He's saying, neither do I. I don't want to beat you up. I don't want to defeat you. You don't know me, but you think you know me. You have some presumptions about me on which you're operating that's causing you to live the way you're living because you're living so much 
like an orphan. You're living like you have been abandoned. You're living like you're all alone and you're the only one there to fend for yourself. And this deep emptiness, this deep sense of that is coming to you because you have these these beliefs about me that's not allowing you to trust me fully. There are moments, there are process, and there's times when Jacob is trusting God, but he's not going to put his full weight, put throw all his chips in with God, and God is trying to say, you're my child. My posture towards you is good. It's gracious. All night long you wrestled, and did I ever actually crush you? Did I actually ever pin you down? Don't you realize that my intentions towards you, Jacob, is kind, that patiently I will continue to walk with you through your life. Whatever the situations and journeys of your life are, I'm journeying with you. But I will not journey with you in a way that you are going to be harmed by it. I'm not dangerous in the sense that my intention towards you is malicious or bad. And God is telling us the same thing too. Now, again, There are some of these things that we don't necessarily have these out loud conversations with. But I worry. I worry a lot if I do certain things, if this is going to work out. I worry if God's going to show up. I worry if this is dumb, right? I worry when something goes bad, is it just going to be like, oh, well, there it goes. There's no way around it. I worry in the sense of being an orphan myself. And maybe you do too. Maybe you live your life thinking, that you are all there is for survival in this world. That God is a distant, far away, he's God, but he's way out there, not close enough to sort of step in on a regular basis when I need him. He may not show up. And that fear, that fear is operating inside of us, and so that's why we make the compromises and the choices and the things that that we do in our own life too. And God is telling us the same thing he is. I'm kind. I'm gracious, I'm good, test me, ask me, seek of me and know who I am and what my posture is towards you and you will be surprised that all I want for you is what is best and glorious and good. But I can't believe it all the time because I can't see him and the world comes at me fast, and I look at myself and I see my own limitations of what I have, what I don't have, what I wish I had, and immediately I get into my wrestling posture and think, I got to do it myself. I got to do it myself. And God shows Jacob hours and hours and hours and hours and hours, and I will not defeat you. I will not harm you. The truth is, when this God touches the hip, I mean, this is humorous, right? It touches the hip socket and boom, it falls apart, right? God had the power all along to take him down. When we say God, right? I mean, think of things that make you feel overwhelmed. I was thinking about this, lava, right? <laughs> lava that flows from a mountain God makes, and he can't take Jacob down. He can't take me down, right? Think of the sun. Where I am right now, it's hot enough, right? If I were to go closer, burned up. He made that with his mouth, with words. And, and scientists tell us that there may be a million suns in all the galaxies around. He just made all that. He has the power of the universe coursing through his veins. And he used none of it. 
none of it on Jacob. To crush him. To keep him down. To hold him. But he did touch his hip. And he did create a scar on him, right? Because he has the powers. And it is the scars of our life that are good memorial stones to teach us and remind us of our journey with God. We have bruises. We have scars. And sometimes God allows those things to happen because we just need those reminders of times and places and situations in our life where the defeats happened, right? Where the hard things happened. And we need to know that. And then to be able to see over the long arc, God was still with me. God still loves me. He cares for me. That his intention towards me is not evil. Well, as soon as Jacob's hip was out of socket, I think, this is sort of my sense of it, I think that may have been a point when he realizes that this is not a man I'm wrestling with, this is God, right? It may be, I, I don't know. Um, he could have realized it sooner. But something interesting happens. Jacob stops wrestling, and instead it says he holds on to him, right? And not letting go. That's a different thing. When you're wrestling, you're trying to take him down, but I think that his, his movement changes because then it says he holds on to him and let me go, and he says don't hold on to me anymore, you know, uh, that, the, that God says, but he continues to do so. I think something good happened there for Jacob. He realized, you know what? I don't need to wrestle down God. I just need to hold him. Even in the pain, even when that's all I've got is just clinging on, like the woman did, clinging to the heel of Jesus' garment for healing, somewhere just holding on to whatever I got, hold on to him, be near him, be close to him. He realized that God is not someone he wanted to beat up, usurp, or take his place and sit on the throne, but he didn't want to lose him. He didn't want to be apart from him. And he asks in that time, right, for a blessing. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Man, isn't that reminiscent of a playback of 20 years earlier? We're back again. We're back again. Jacob still wants the blessing. He's still after the blessing, right? And the same exact conversation happens. What is your name? What's your name? Last time he said, I'm Esau. Because he thought he had to be somebody else to get the blessing. And this time... He says, the truth, I'm Jacob. I'm a schemer. I'm a grasper. I'm a wrestler. I'm a conniver. I'm a manipulator. That's who I am. No pretense. No false identity. No trying to be better than who he is. No trying to create a false image of who he is. But in his brokenness, a repentant Jacob just realizes that maybe this God is trustworthy. Maybe I can put my weight on him. Maybe I can lean on him and put my chips on him. And sure enough, it tells us in the text that God blesses Jacob there. What he's been longing for all his life, blessing, and he receives it from God. Right? And then as the story goes, he tells, he turns to God, says the man, he goes, tell me your name. Tell me your name. That 
has got to crush God. Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us, when we pray, we should pray, our Father in heaven. Oh my gosh, Jacob, you want to know my name? I'm your dad. You don't know who I am. I'm your father. But you don't know me. You don't see me. You don't understand me. It's not your, my name. It's who I am to you. I created you. I made you. Can you imagine how God feels when Jacob is saying, who are you again? What's your name? Dad. But how many times in our lives, and we do story after story, God continues to engage with people who forget and who doesn't know. He's our Father. He made us, right? But we just don't see it, or it takes a lot for us to see it. And immediately there, it tells us that God changes his name to Israel. You will no longer be called Jacob. You are now forever Israel, which means that you have contended, you have fought with man and with God and have prevailed. Let me ask you, when? You didn't win. You didn't prevail. It was a draw at best, right? I'll give him a draw at best. He didn't prevail. On the cross, when Jesus is crucified, he hangs on the cross and he dies. And he takes your sin and my sin. The wrath of his father falls on him so that when he cries out to his father, heaven is silent. He loses everything that he had with the father in that time to die on the cross. And then afterwards, he turns to us and say, Victor. Winner, you're the one that's going to rule this world, co-heirs with Christ, sin-free, right? To tell us die, paid in full. Paid in full? I didn't pay my debt in full. I didn't pay anything in full. That's the way God operates with us. He turns to Jacob, whose hip is out of socket, who hasn't been able to win, and, and he picks up his arm and goes, You're Israel! You're the winner. That's how God engages with us, right? He imputes his goodness, his kindness, his status, his righteousness on us so that when the Father sees us, he sees us washed in his blood, cleansed, sees us for the child that we are so that we can have our status back. We can have that relationship back. That is is the God that we have. That is the God of Jacob. And Jacob will continue to struggle, as Jeff said last week. The next chapter goes on and doesn't refer to him as Jacob, continues to, I mean, doesn't refer to him as Israel, it's still Jacob. It's a journey. Just like for you, it is for me. There are times I realize the truth, and then when the world comes hard, I forget it. Our job is to have those memorial stones, those scars that remind us, as Jesus had the scars on his hands, right? that will be forever our reminder that he died for us, that he loves us, he saved us. He paid the price that we couldn't pay ourselves. You and I are the victors. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, um, 
that kind of kindness is something we don't see in the world often. So we struggle to believe that it's true. But it's true. It's written in the pages of scripture. You're a God who loves us just as much as you love Jacob. And our lousiness doesn't disqualify us because it was never about our qualification in the first place. But you choose us because you choose us because you're kind. So Father, we walk with you, we sing with you, we worship you, we remember that you have made us your children. You are our Father. We are yours for all eternity. Seal that into the deepest parts of our hearts today, Lord. Let us never forget. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.